right. Thank you, guys. You may go ahead and have a seat. Again, my name is David, and I'm a pastor over at Creekside Church in Goose Creek, not too far from you all. And uh, it's always a privilege to be with you here at Hope Church, and uh, always consider it fun whenever I get to worship with you guys, and um, consider you all to be like my church away from my church. And just know that I'm praying for your pastors as they are out this evening and this week, and uh, what a what a trying time it's been for all of us. Um, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to the book of John. We'll be in John chapter 15 this evening. John chapter 15, starting in verse 1. If you are there, say, I'm there. That's about 35%, roughly, so we'll give it just a few seconds. All right, John 15, starting in verse 1, Jesus says this. He says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears fruit. Much fruit, for apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, they are thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and I abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have done, all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and I appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. May God bless the reading of the word. Just a few weeks ago, we all had the privilege of starting a new calendar year. 
And generally what happens every calendar year is we start with a clean slate and we talk about what goals or what resolutions we want to set for ourselves. Did anybody happen to make any resolutions for 2022? Anybody happen to make a few of those? Good. See, what generally we're all trying to do here is just survive that we've forgotten about goals, we've forgotten about trying to better ourselves, we are just trying to hang on, baby. But there were many folks who actually did make New Year's resolutions this year, and I want to read to you just a few of what some of those New Year's resolutions were. 35% of Americans who made a New Year's resolution said that they wanted to start exercising more. And generally, if they started that, they're probably not doing it anymore. 44% of Americans who made New Year's resolutions said that they wanted to start making or saving more money. That's good. 27% of Americans said that this year they want to start paying off debt. 30% of Americans said that they wanted to start losing weight. 28% of Americans who made New Year's resolutions said that they wanted to start spending more time with their family. 22% said this year, 2022, what they wanted to do above everything else was to reduce stress. Man, good luck doing any of these things in the middle of a pandemic. Brothers and sisters, if I could just be honest with you, out of all the things that we just read and out of all the things that our our Americans and our country is starting to do, all of these things are good and all of these things are helpful. But if I can just be honest with you, all of these things are so tired. We need better goals. We need new goals. We need new resolutions. And especially as Christians, I hope you understand that these things, although they are good, they will not lead to us being most satisfied. And if I had to make a New Year's resolution for me, and if I had to make a New Year's resolution for the folks who attend my church, and if I had to make a New Year's resolution even for you as the body of Christ, what I think would be the best way for us to spend our time, and if we're aiming for one particular thing, what I hope it would be for all of us is that this year, above all the other years, is that we would lean in to bearing more fruit to bearing more fruit and being more like Christ. Sure, it is a good thing for you to exercise. It is a good thing for you to start paying off debt, for you to spend more time with family. And surely those things will will lead to a, a, a more happy time and a more prosperous time. But again, they're not best. What's best is leaning into Christ And so bearing much more fruit. In John chapter 15, verses 1 through 6, we just read that. Jesus tells his disciples that the key to having a more fruitful life and the one thing necessary, if we're going to bear more fruit, is to abide in Christ. It is to abide in Christ. It is the one thing necessary. It is for us 
above all the other things is to abide in Christ. You see, in this passage, John chapter 15, Jesus is spending time with his disciples moments before he's about to be arrested and put on trial and He's inevitably going to be put on the cross. He will resurrect, and of course, he will ascend to the Father. And I believe that one of the things that Jesus is doing for his disciples is he is teaching them some of the most necessary things and some of the most important things about how they are to live whenever he's gone. I will not be with you much longer, so here is how I want you to live. You see, last words are meant to be lasting words. They are meant to be impacting words. And this is what Jesus leaves his disciples with. He says, I want you to bear fruit and so prove to be my disciples. And Jesus tells his disciples again that their ability to bear fruit is tied directly to abiding in him. And specifically, very specifically, Jesus teaches and tells his disciples that if they are to abide in him, that they will see more answered prayer. Do you want to see more answered prayer this year? Come on now, I know I do. Jesus tells his disciples that if they want to experience more joy, then they have to abide in him. Do you, do you want to experience more joy this year? Jesus tells his disciples that if they abide in him, that they will have the ability to be more obedient to him as they follow him. Do you want to be more obedient to God this year? I know I do. Last but not least, Jesus tells his disciples, he says that if you abide in me and you begin to bear more fruit, one of the things that you will specifically begin to see is that you will be able to love one another greater. Do you want to love better this year than any other year of your life? This is what Jesus tells his disciples. He says that if you do this, if you abide in me, it equals bearing much fruit. Not abiding in Christ is the exact opposite. Not abiding in Christ equals no fruit. Look with me at the first three verses of this passage. Verse 1. Jesus says that I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Let's be very clear that God is in control of the vineyard. He is the vine dresser. He is the one working in his disciples' lives so that they may bear more fruit. And what does he say specifically? He says, every branch in me that does not bear more fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it may bear more fruit. You see, God, the Father, and Jesus, the Son, are working together in the vineyard so that they may see a more healthy and a more prosperous vineyard and a more fruitful vineyard. 
And as the vine dresser, God does two things specifically so that his disciples will bear more fruit. Or he does two things specifically so that he will see more fruit from the vineyard. The first of which is that he cuts off anything that is not bearing fruit. I don't know if you've ever kept a garden or if you've ever had a tree or if you've ever grown a a vineyard yourself. My granddad, whenever we were growing up, he always would keep a little scuffinine vine and he would have a grapevine, grapevines and a little, just a very small vineyard. Every now and then we'd be able to go out and pick some things off of it and And here's what I know about that little vineyard or the vines is that him being the one who wanted to see the maximum amount of fruit possible is anything that was not bearing fruit that was dead yet still attached to the vine, he would clip it off. He would clip off what was dead because essentially it's just giving the appearance of having life, but it's not bearing fruit at all. And so he would cut those things off. I'm imagining that as Jesus is saying this, one of the the very people that was in the room with him moments before he's telling his disciples about this was a disciple by the name of Judas Iscariot, who we know walked with Jesus for three long years and had all the makings and all the appearance of being one of Jesus' disciples. He looked like one of the boys. He was there with them and ate with them. He spent most of his time with Jesus and all of his guys. He witnessed the miracles. He saw everything that Jesus did. And even though he had the appearance of being one of the disciples, he was not. He was dead on the vine. And what does the word say about those who do not bear fruit. He says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Just moments after this passage, we know this about Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed Jesus. He was not there during this time, but just a few short days after this, Judas Iscariot took his own life because, again, the weight of betraying Jesus, it goes even deeper than that. He was one who had the appearance of bearing fruit, yet he did not at all, and he was taken away. This is the work that God does. He will not allow his vineyard to be infiltrated with folks and with people who have the markings and the makings of being one of his disciples, yet are not actually real. But the second thing that Jesus does or that God does as the vine dresser, the second thing that God does is not only does he clip away at that which does not bear fruit, but he prunes what is bearing fruit so that it may bear even more fruit. Those of us who walk with Christ and those of us who have a relationship with him and We've been, you know, we've been trying our best to follow him all the days of our lives, so to speak. Well, listen, there are moments and times whenever we experience suffering or whenever we experience heartache, whenever we experience downfalls, and we don't know why it's happening. We can't explain it. God, where are you in this time? And why are you allowing me to go through this? 
Brothers and sisters, I would remind you of this, that one of the ways that God prunes his disciples so that we might bear even more fruit is through suffering. It is through a path of hardship and difficulty. You think about the disciples who just moments after this, how how their lives were not marked with complacency. Their lives were not marked with, with, with prosperity. Their lives were marked with fighting for their lives on a daily basis. Their, their lives were marked, many of them, as martyrs, and they were killed for their relationship with God. This is the work that God does so that we might bear even more fruit. If you experience hardship and if you're experiencing trials, it's not that God is absent. It's not that God has forgotten you. But it very well could be that God is pruning you and shaping you and molding you so that you might bear even more fruit. He goes on to say, In verse 4, he says, abide in me. This is probably the most important verse of this passage. He says, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Jesus is saying that you cannot absolutely, positively cannot have a more fruitful life without abiding in Jesus. You cannot be a more loving person while leaving Jesus in the dust. There is no possible way for you to have a more joyful life while not being connected to Christ. It cannot be so. There's no way for us to see our prayers answered at a greater rate without spending more time with Christ. There's no way that we can bear more fruit if you Wish and if you hope for this year to be the year that you press in and that you become a different person, that you are transformed, none of that happens outside of a real thick, vibrant, and passionate relationship with Jesus. It is the most necessary thing. And the beauty of this, they probably were looking at Jesus like he was crazy. Jesus, how can we abide in you if you're not going to be here? Well, in just the preceding chapters up to this, Jesus has promised his disciples what? He has promised them that the Holy Spirit is coming and he will indwell in you and he will give you the ability to do this. You see, brothers and sisters, As we have the Holy Spirit living within us, he gives us the power to abide in Christ. He has given us the ability to do it. He has. Famous pastor in America by the name of Matt Carter, he says this. He says, the illustration of the branch helps us understand what it looks like to abide. 
A branch is only alive if the sap flows from the trunk through the branch. Without sap, the branch dies. When people trust Jesus as Lord and Savior, the life of Jesus begins to flow through them like sap through a branch. I love that imagery. Jesus has made them alive. His spirit now indwells them, and he gives them the power to serve him and to trust him and to tell of him and to live for him. He promises never to leave them and to sustain them at all times. The life of Jesus flows through every Christian. Apart from his life, we can accomplish nothing for God We can do nothing to please God. I think it's important for us to remember that as Christians and as disciples, we spend our time doing a lot of good things. Perhaps you have a workplace, you have an office in which you go there and you want to be a light for Christ. Perhaps you have neighbors and family and you want them to see you as being a Christian. You want to see them as a, they want, you want them to see you as a, just a different person, a different life. Even some of us tonight, we, we came and many of you served coffee and we led worship and many of you might be small group leaders or you might be just the, the spiritual influence of your neighborhood or whatever it is. Listen, it's possible to do those types of things without abiding in Christ. It's incredibly possible for you to go to work every day and it's, imposs- it's possible for you to teach your children about Jesus. It's possible for us to lead worship. It's possible for us to serve coffee. And all of those things are possible for us to do without abiding in Christ. But here is the reality and here is the truth that without abiding in Christ, we will never see anything powerful. We will never see anything truly transformational. We will never see God do something that we can hang our hats on for years and years and years. We will truly miss the spiritual if we are not connected to Christ. And here's what I believe, is that I believe that as Christians we are so caught up in the doing and we are caught up in the the motions of, of going about our business and knowing that we carry Christ with us wherever we go, yet without the abiding, without the time in prayer, without the time in the scriptures, we're doing a lot of things. We're doing a lot of good things. We're just not seeing anything great. Brothers and sisters, I don't know about you, but at the end of my days and at the end of my time, I don't want to look back on this time period of my life thinking about all the things that I did, thinking about all the things that I said, and truly look at this as a waste of time because I was not abiding in Christ. Let it not be so about us. He goes on to say again, 
In verse 5, he says, I am the vine, you are the branches, whoever abides in me and I in him. He it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me, you can do, what is that word there? What does nothing mean? It means nothing. He goes again and he says in verse 6, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, they are thrown into the fire and burned. Even our best works in the flesh are worth nothing. They are dead. They are meant to just be tossed aside and burned. These verses 1 through 6, they teach us a couple things. And they're good indications, perhaps, of where our heart just might be. Jesus says that if we bear no fruit, then the reality is that we are not attached to him at all. And I hope and pray that you are seeing fruit in your life. But if you are not, if you don't see anything that is of Christ in your life, then I want you to pause right here and understand the reality. If you're not seeing any transformation, any change, anything different about you today than it was all those years ago before you came to Christ, then there's something wrong with this picture. Jesus says it. And so I hope this, this, this evening, whenever you hear these words, I hope that this is a litmus test for all of us. Am I bearing fruit? But even more than that, Jesus says that we are to bear much fruit. And so it seems to me if we're seeing little fruit, it probably means that we're not abiding as well as we can. All of us could grow in this area. So what is this fruit that Jesus is talking about? I've referenced it a few times. Now I want to show you specifically about this fruit that we may be able to bear. Look at verse 7. He says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Oh man. Now, let's unpack this because this is oftentimes one of the most misquoted, misunderstood, and misrepresented verses in all of the Bible. I had a boy in high school, he's a friend of mine, told me that he prayed for one thing very specifically, and he prayed really, really hard. And because God didn't give him that thing, then he no longer believed in God. Is that what this verse is talking about? Is this what Jesus is meaning behind if we pray this way, ask whatever you wish. If you abide in me, ask whatever you wish and it'll be done for you. Does this mean that you can pray and that just because you're abiding in Christ that you're going to get that job that you want? Does it mean that you're going to get finally that car that you've been saving up for for the last five years? Does it mean that your kids are finally going to behave and they're finally going to start listening to you? Is that what it means? Absolutely not. And if you're the one that's praying for the Lamborghini and just using Jesus' name to get there, I got bad news, okay? What is Jesus talking about whenever he says this? He says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. 
Jesus is saying here that as you abide in him, then your prayers begin to change. Then you stop praying for the things that are so worldly, that we stop praying for the things that are so fleshly, and that as we begin to abide in Christ, our prayers become the very prayers of God. That as his spirit is working within us, that we are so united and so at one that we begin to pray the way that God wants us to pray. And he says, whenever you pray the way that I want you to pray, whenever you pray the things uh, that I am asking for, then you will see more prayer answered. As I live in you, as I'm pressing on your heart and I'm changing your heart, your prayers change. I don't know if there's ever been a time where you have really been walking with the Lord. You pray those words, not my will, but yours be done, and you truly mean it. Because God, I, I know that whatever you choose to do, it is for your glory and it is for my good. So God, my prayer is that you get what you want. If you're not seeing your prayer answered, your prayers answered, it very well could be because you're not praying God's word and you're not praying God's, God's will and God's ways. If it feels like your prayers are hitting the ceiling and going nowhere, it very well could be that you're not abiding in Christ, and it very well could be that your prayers are not his prayers. They're totally fleshly. They are totally worldly. They're not in tune with him. They're not in line with what he wants. So we very just may need to see this. This very well could be a symptom of the problem. Jesus guarantees that when we abide in him, that we will see more prayer answered in our favor. He goes on to say in verse 8, he says, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As my Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. He says this, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and I abide in his love. Jesus says the first fruit that we will see whenever we abide in him is that we will see more prayer answered. The second thing that he says is that when you abide in him, that you will have the ability, a greater ability to obey him. You see, abiding in Christ, it changes our hearts and it makes us want to keep his commandments. Whenever you are walking vibrantly in Christ and keeping close fellowship with him, it changes your outlook on the things that he's asked you to do. It gives you inspiration and motivation to want to obey him. It makes you want to keep his commands more than you would otherwise. You see, his love is the driving force for our obedience. We are not doing something 
for God whenever we abide in him, but we are doing something from God and from his love. I don't know how many of you are married, but there is a great difference in doing something for your spouse because you know you got to and you know you have to and you're going to be in the doghouse if you don't versus doing something for your spouse because you just are slap crazy in love with them. Whenever you are in love with Jesus, his commands and the things that he's given us to do, we don't do them so that we can check the box. We don't do them out of mere duty and obligation. We do it because we are overflowing with the love of God in our hearts. If we abide in him, he gives us the desire to want to obey. We are more closely connected with him. The third thing that Jesus says in verse 11, he says, these things that I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. One of the benefits of abiding in Christ is that you will experience more joy. That as you spend more time in Christ and you just are pressing into him and connected to him with all you can, you will experience more joy. You see, listen, abiding in Christ meaning, means that we are generally more happy as we go along. Just happy. I don't know about you guys, but the last two years, <laughs> it's been slap crazy. It's been nuts. It has been absolutely like otherworldly. For generations and generations, we will be telling our kids and our grandkids about the craziness of 2020 and 2021 and 2022. In all of this, our world has been filled with great despair. In all of this, our world has been filled with with a lack of hope and with a lack of understanding and, and just an overall sense of doom and gloom. If anything, over the last three years, what the church could have and should have provided was a model and a display of what true happiness and true joy looks like in the face of great and great, great adversity. But we haven't. We haven't shown as much joy as we could have, have we? We have not shown a life of happiness. We should have been the third option for the world these past three years. For everybody to look at the church and say, there's something different about God's people right now. And I can't put my finger on it and I don't understand it, but there's something different about his church. They just seem happy and they just seem joyful, although there's much tragedy and chaos. Why is it? And then we would have been able to give the answer. It's because we are abiding in Christ. Christ is the source of our joy. He says, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Abiding in Christ equals great, incredible joy. 
Not abiding in Christ equals gloom, doom, chatter, and just noise for the rest of the world to hear. He says that we may have experienced joy. Not only that we may experience joy, but that we may be able to experience joy to the fullest. I don't know what your hobbies are or how you find entertainment. I don't know what your relationships are like and what makes you happy. Jesus gives us a promise that if we abide in him and spend time with him and press into him, that we will have more happiness than anything else this world has to offer. Any hobby, any person, any relationship. The last thing that Jesus tells us is that if we abide in him, then we will experience a greater love for others. Look at verse 12. He says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. If I was in that room, now knowing what the things that I know about Jesus and the things that Jesus was about to do for his disciples, I would have looked at Jesus and said, are you serious? Love each other as you have loved us? How? How is that even possible, Jesus? How can I love anybody the way that you love me? He says, greater love hath no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. We know this that Jesus was referencing what he was about to do on the cross. Greater love hath no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And then he says, you are my friends. All right, that's startling me. (laughs) We're good. (laughs) He says, you are my friends in verse 14, if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. He says, you did not choose me, but I chose you, and I appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. You see, it is one thing to love somebody. It's another thing to love somebody the way that Jesus loves you. Knowing all of your junk, knowing all of your flaws and all of your mistakes, and still laying down his life for you, showing the greatest act of selflessness, the greatest act of kindness, showing to us the greatest amount of selflessness that's ever been displayed. This is the type of love that Jesus shows me And this is the type of love that Jesus shows you 
And he says, now this love that I model for you, I want you to go and show this same type of love to everybody else. A selfless love, a sacrificial type of love, a forgiving type of love, knowing that you've been hurt, knowing that you've been wrong, and still saying, I choose to forgive you despite my hurt. And then he says to them this, he says, listen, that you haven't done anything for this relationship, but I have chose you. And I have brought you into this relationship, and now I've called you friends, and I'm about to lay my life down for you. You see, he's telling his disciples that you didn't do or earn anything for this type of love. You didn't work for it, but I chose you, and I gave this type of love to you. Man, oh man, oh man. It is only possible for us to love like Christ whenever we abide in Christ. (laughs) Husbands and wives, you can be the best husband and you can be the best wife by abiding in Christ. Show them that same type of love. Parents, you can show the greatest love for your children not by all the things that the world says that you can do for them, not by giving them all the things, not by even being there for all the things, not by providing for them and all the things. You can love your children the best by abiding in Christ. You can love them like Christ only by abiding in Christ. If you have family or if you have friends or if you have coworkers, coworkers who wrong you, That person from the HOA that's just driving around looking for something, looking for trouble, looking for you to have your trash out. That coworker who complains about everything. The only way that you can love them truly and love them the way that Christ does is by pressing into Jesus with all you've got. And even then, (laughs) it's incredibly hard. But this gives us our best ability. Brothers and sisters, I want you to understand this. Jesus tells us that if we abide in him, we will see more prayer answered. Jesus tells us that if we abide in him, we will experience more joy. Jesus tells us that if we abide in him, we will experience greater obedience and a greater heart behind the obedience Jesus teaches us that if we abide in him, then we will have a greater love for one another. Only if we abide in him. And so how do we do this? Obviously, this is an an incredibly important question. How do we abide in Christ? Obviously, that comes a lot through his spirit who lives within us and And we pray to him and we cry out to him and we spend time on our daily basis where we're on our knees crying out to God. We also do this by pressing into his word. John 15 verse 7 says, abide in me and my words abide in you. Meaning that his words from the scriptures, from the Bible, that if they abide in us. So that comes from us spending time in his scriptures. 
It comes through us. Abiding in Christ comes to us by being in good fellowship and in good community. Some of the greatest words that I've ever heard from Christ and from the Holy Spirit came from the Holy Spirit out of somebody else's mouth. Where I've been sitting across the table from somebody in good community and they said, brother, I see this in your life. Abiding in Christ means those things. It means prayer. It means scripture reading. It means good fellowship and good community accountability. But abiding in Christ also means avoiding some things. It means avoiding sin and the temptation that so easily entangles us. Back in August, my wife and I, we moved, moved over to a house in Monk's Corner and and for those of you here, that probably feels like an hour away. <laughs> That's the country. We're not actually out in the country. We're just on the other side of Goose Creek. And we bought this house in August. And I, we love the house, and we're just getting used to it. But our backyard is hideous, if I just had to be honest. It's hideous. And there's this weed that kind of grows over the entire backyard. And, like, there's no grass in the backyard. It's just this brown weed that kind of kills all the grass and we literally if we want to get this if we want to get rid of we want to get it out I have to pull it out by hand and again it covers the entire backyard if any any of you know how I can get it out of my yard please tell me I'd love to know but you see the thing about this weed is that it's choking out the grass from getting any sunlight the weed is choking out the grass from getting any nutrients. It's not getting the sunlight it needs to be able to grow. And even if it were to grow, it's got nowhere because this weed covers over the top of it and it smothers it and it keeps it suppressed. And this is what sin will do to the life of any Christian who is trying to abide. This is what sin and our rebellion towards God does for you and for me as we try to press into Christ. Brothers and sisters, if we want to abide in Christ, sometimes it means saying no to the things of the flesh that want to choke your life out. It gives us the illusion of life, gives us the illusion of health, but it's actually killing us. And brothers and sisters, I want to just say to you tonight that if we are going to abide in Christ and allow this year to be greater than any other year before, then it means saying yes to time with Jesus, and it means saying no to a lot of the things of the flesh. And I hope and I pray that this year I will abide in Christ and see greater things. Is this what you want? Is this what your church wants? Let us see more powerful things. And let us start by abiding in Christ. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you this evening and we... Oh Lord, we confess our ignorance and we confess our rebellion... And Lord, we just want to be with you and bear more fruit and be more like you. 
Um, and so pray, Lord, uh, that the spirit who lives within us would draw us and pull our hearts towards you. And that as you pull our hearts towards you and you stir our affections for you, Jesus, that we would begin to see more fruit and that this year would be the most fruitful year we've ever had. We love you, Lord, and all these things are in your name.